This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehayis Wuhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News Tonight. It is very disturbing that South Africa will be hosting the military exercise with the country aggressor invader that is using its military force against peaceful country. That's Ukrainian ambassador to South Africa, Lubab Abrivitova, condemning South Africa's naval war games with Russian warships. Details coming up. Also, a protest over water shortages in southern Ethiopia turns deadly. Mali has begun a crackdown on hookah smoking. And Amnesty International says M23 rebels raped, raped at least 66 women and girls in November in the eastern DRC. These stories and more on African News Tonight. But first, our top story. Joint naval exercises including South Africa, Russia and China get underway in waters off South Africa's east coast today despite U.S. concerns and Ukrainian condemnation. Critics say that 10-day military drills will do little to benefit South Africa and will act as a propaganda boost for Moscow on the one-year anniversary of its ongoing invasion of Ukraine. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg. While the West is upping its arms shipments to help Ukraine fend off Russia's invasion, South Africa begins war games today with Russian warships that proudly support the offensive. Russia's Admiral Gorshkov, which arrived in Cape Town this week, is marked with the Kremlin's pro-war symbol, the letter Z. Critics say the optics of South African servicemen aboard the frigate near the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion would be a coup for Moscow and a shame to the country of freedom fighter Nelson Mandela. Ukrainian ambassador to South Africa, Lubav Abravitova, told VOA she condemns the drills. It is very disturbing that South Africa will be hosting the military exercise with the country aggressor, invader, that is using its military force against peaceful country, uh, bringing destruction and trying to eliminate Ukrainian nation. South Africa has repeatedly defended its neutral stance on the conflict in Ukraine and its right to relations with Russia, a fellow member of the BRICS trade bloc with Brazil, India and China. South Africa's Minister for International Relations and Cooperation, Naledi Pandor, last month welcomed her visiting Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, and said Pretoria wouldn't be bullied into choosing sides. The opposition Democratic Alliance, though, says Pretoria's hosting the drill shows it has dropped any pretense at neutrality. Democratic Alliance Shadow Defense Minister Corbus Marais adds the drills, called Mosey II, won't benefit South Africa's depleted navy and the funds would be better spent elsewhere. Given our very limited naval capabilities, resources and other higher priorities, we can gain little or no value from exercise Mosey II, especially from the presence and the possible launch of the hypersonic missile. The Gorshkov is equipped with hypersonic Zircon missiles, which Russian state media report could be fired in a training launch during the drills. South African officials have denied the missile launch will be part of the 10 days of exercises, which also include China's Navy. South Africa's Defense Department said this is not the first war game with Russia and that it previously joined military drills with its Western allies as well. 
However, South Africa this year declined an invitation to join U.S.-led multinational maritime drills in the Gulf of Guinea. South African Institute of International Affairs Russia expert Stephen Grust said Pretoria is trying to straddle both sides. South Africa does see a future in which Russia and China are both very, very important partners, but it's still also trying to balance its relations with Western states. There may be some fallout, we're not sure of what kind, but the U.S. is certainly not happy at all that South Africa is taking part in these exercises. Asked to comment on the drills, the U.S. State Department told VOA by email it noted them with concern, even as Moscow continues its brutal and unlawful invasion of Ukraine. The statement went on to say, We encourage South Africa to cooperate militarily with fellow democracies that share our mutual commitment to human rights and the rule of law. Since Russia's invasion last February, U.S. officials estimate tens of thousands of Ukrainian civilians have been killed, along with as many as 100,000 troops or more on each side. The Russian embassy in South Africa and South Africa's defense ministry did not reply to requests for comment. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg. Two men opened fire and killed 35-year-old Kernan Forbes, known as AKA, one of South Africa's most popular rappers. The incident happened last Friday, shortly after he and a friend left a restaurant in the East Coast city of Durban. Today, he's being put to rest. From Johannesburg, reporter Tuso Kumalo is standing by to, brief, to brief us on the proceedings. Welcome to African News Tonight, Tuso. Thank you so much. Welcome to it. I understand the death of this talented rapper has touched raw nerves in South Africa. So talk to us about uh, uh, him and the funeral service that's, uh, that's going on today. Uh, yeah, his death has touched quite a lot of lives. I mean, you've got the young stars and the old people who were so appreciative of this guy, especially because of the way that he portrayed himself, the music that was almost domesticated by everyone here in South Africa. In fact, today is not the funeral, but today it is the memorial service that was held at Fountain Convention Center here in Johannesburg. He's going to be buried formally uh, tomorrow. Uh, but uh, we had a lot of people coming from uh, different parts of the world and the different parts of, of the country uh, coming to pay their tribute, really. Uh, what happened, because of the venue that they were using there at Funding Convention Center, they allowed about 1,500 people to buy tickets to come and attend, and about 500 invitations that were given. So a total of about 2,000 people were only allowed. The rest of the, the nation are watching uh, the proceedings on, 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 on live streaming. But uh, quite a somber moment. The people that I spoke to, uh, they they they, they, were, they, they were taking him as a brother, as part of their life. Their music was now part of their daily life. You find that they, are, they were so attached to him that uh, they feel so pity and still worried as to why was he killed this way? Why would human beings kill another person like this? But today, it was more of a celebratory mood. Everyone being happy to say he left their music and they are going to make sure that their, his music lives in their houses day in and day out. So to answer the question why, police in South Africa have promised swift action after the popular rapper uh, was gunned down in public. Any results so far in the bringing the perpetrators to justice? Uh, currently, certainly, there's no, there's, no, there's no headway in terms of uh, the police coming out to tell us 
who really was behind this. The police are still in the search, and uh, no one knows exactly why he was killed and who killed him. Uh, but uh, uh, what is worrying a lot of people is that this was done in day, uh, in broad daylight when everyone was watching their videos of these guys. And of course, it may be difficult for the police to trust them. But uh, uh, currently, uh, the police are saying they are still on that case. They still need to, to do their investigations. And, uh, of course, as soon as that happens, uh, they are going to tell the nation as to what happened. But uh, currently, we are all still in the dark as to the, who did it, what was the motive, and the, why it happened that way in broad daylight, as if some people were daring even the laws, the police, saying there's nothing that can be done to them. Tuso Kumalo, uh, reporting directly from Johannesburg. Thank you for your input. Thank you. Peace activists from across Africa are urging African leaders to step up efforts to ensure a lasting peace in Ethiopia as heads of state and government gather in the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa for the annual African Union Summit. From Nairobi, Ruben Chama reports. Ahead of the African Union Summit, activists said Ethiopia's peace agreement had raised the prospect for peace in Ethiopia but was marred by serious gaps. Shuvai Bosuman Nyoni is the executive director of the African Leadership Center. When we talk about the human, the social, the economic cost of this one conflict in Ethiopia, it will take us quite a long time to have the full picture of the real impact. Some of the numbers that have come out of the conflict, particularly in, in, in Tigray, have been rather staggering. Even when we think of the population size of a country such as Ethiopia, knowing that there is conflict in the country is really concerning because of the extent of devastation. After a two-year war that killed about 600,000 civilians and displaced 2.7 million people, Ethiopia's federal government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, TPLF, signed a cessation of hostilities agreement in November. The African Union helped mediate the deal. Dismas Nkunda from Uganda is the chief executive officer of Atrocities Watch Africa, an organization that fights impunity. One of the glaring things I think in the agreement which we don't see is the question of holding people accountable for the crimes that they committed during that process. If you don't put accountability, then you are increasing the chances of the same crime happening because people are not satisfied with the outcome of the punishment for individuals who have committed particular crimes. So what happens to the people? Women who are raped, girls who are raped, and there is no any form of uh, action or justice taken for the persons who committed that. The activists spoke during a virtual discussion Thursday organized by the South Africa Daily Maverick newspaper. It aimed at expressing Pan-African solidarity with the people of Ethiopia in a spirit of peace and reconciliation. Mark Haywood, editor of the Maverick Citizen, moderated the discussion. I must say I was taken aback, even as a journalist, just to understand the scale of tragedy in Ethiopia that has resulted from this war. 600,000 deaths, several million people internally displaced. Uh, sexual and gender-based violence on a large scale. African leaders hold their annual summit Saturday and Sunday in the Ethiopian capital. The conflict in Ethiopia is also expected to feature in the discussions. 
the U.S. government has sent a high-level delegation to the summit. U.S. State Department Special Envoy for Global Food Security, Kerry Fowler, U.S. Assistant Secretary for Africa, Molly Fee, and U.S. Global AIDS Coordinator and Special Representative for Health Diplomacy, Dr. John Nkenga Song, will meet with government officials on the sidelines of the summit. Ruben Chama, VOA News, Nairobi. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. For more information on this and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. The UN's Emergency Response Agency says 185,000 people, 89% of them women and children, have fled their homes in a contested border town in the breakaway region of Somaliland. The French news agency AFP says the latest fighting broke out February 6th in Las Anod, which is part of a trade corridor claimed by both Somaliland and neighboring Puntland in northeastern Somalia. It says violence erupted after elders in the Sul region, which includes Las Anod, pledged to support Somalia's federal government and urged Somaliland authorities to withdraw their soldiers. The UN's Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in Somalia says reports of heavy fighting were continuing to surface despite a declared ceasefire. It says 57 deaths have been reported and over 400 people wounded. Amnesty International says M23 rebels raped at least 66 women and girls during a 10-day stretch of attacks in the Eastern Democratic Republic of the Congo. According to the French news agency AFP, the attacks took place in the settlement of Kishishi, about 100 kilometers north of Goma, the provincial capital of North Kivu. Amnesty cited survivors and witnesses as saying the rebels killed every man they found and raped the woman, including gang rape. The Tutsi-led M23 has seized broad swaths of the region since it re-emerged as a threat in late 2021. It accuses the DRC of failing to integrate its fighters into the National Army and says it acts to protect Tutsis from threats in eastern DRC. General elections will be held in Nigeria on February 25th to select the president and vice president and members of the Senate and House of Representatives. Incumbent President Mohamedou Buhari is ineligible to run, being term limited. VOA's Abuja Bureau Coordinator Medina Dauda describes to me the energy, mood and passion as Election Day in Africa's most populous country approaches. Nigerians are very, very eager now, looking forward to these elections that are taking place in a few days from now. You can see all the signs when you see the candidates campaigning. It's always a beehive of activities. There's a lot of crowds that are uncountable. That is to show you that people are eager. People have this enthusiasm about these elections because everyone is yearning for change. So I can honestly tell you that Nigerians are really, really ready for this election, and they are willing to vote on the 25th of February. 
how about the candidates? Are they visible? Is the campaign in full swing? Campaigns are in full swing. You know, they kind of did a roster for them. They go from state to state and uh, political parties as well. So we have strong parties out of the 18 political parties that have presidential candidates. There's a lot of campaigns going on. They go around state. You'll find one in Lagos today, find one in Kaduna tomorrow, find one in Kano, find one in Abuja. That's how they've been contesting. So there is no dull moment for Nigerian electorate at all. And Medina, there are worries about the security situation in the country. How is that being handled? Now, that is being handled very well if everything that the security agents tell us is something to go by. The spokesperson of the Nigerian army, General Tukuru Gusau, was all over the news trying to convince Nigerians that the army is going to stand by the Independent National Electoral Commission so that these elections will go very well, very peaceful, very safe. All of the security agents talk about the DSS, talk about the Nigerian army, talk about the Nigeria police, the IG and the army spokesman are all over news stations, televisions, radio, telling people, giving every Nigerian the assurance that these elections are going to hold and it is going to be a peaceful election. Like today, if you go out on the street, you find the army and the police doing routine checks in broad daylight on working days. That is something that we hardly see before, but which means it's showing us that they are well prepared for this election. Anywhere you go, there are security agents spread all over. And yesterday I also noticed police helicopter hovering around the Abuja town entirely, which means they are coordinating very well. The army, the security agents, the EDSS, the police, the Air Force, the Navy, they are coordinating very well. They've been, gi- they've been giving us assurances that the elections are going to hold peacefully. And lastly, Medina, could you talk a little about the currency flap, uh, the Naira? Some people are saying it's a political maneuver. Well, everybody is free to express his or her own opinion. But what the government is telling us is that there is no political maneuver in this currency change that the government is effecting right now. As we speak with you, agreed that a lot of people have complained for lack of cash, you know, lack of physical cash where they could touch money with their hands. A lot of people have complained, really, that there's this cash cash crunch. And that is true. There is cash crunch because the CBN is saying there used to be 2.7 trillion naira in circulation. The banks had only 600 billion to work with. So right now they have tried to mop up a lot of money out of circulation. So transactions have gone back to the mobile phones. That is the e-transaction. But the president came out to say the CBN has every right now to flood the entire country with 200 naira notes so that people can have money to work with. And he has given two months from now to April for that to happen. So that is a big relief. People are happy with it. Instead of nothing, they now have money that they could transact, they could transact business with. So people are a bit happy. Speaking with me, that was VOA's uh, Abuja Bureau Coordinator, Medina Dauda. A unique U.S. foreign aid agency, the Millennium Challenge Corporation, 
recently crafted a new type of grant to promote cross-border economic integration and trade between two African nations. The first so-called regional compact signed with Niger and Benin will invest hundreds of millions of dollars for transportation projects. Other grants are also in the works, as we hear from VOA senior correspondent Mariama Diallo. Branching out from bilateral agreements between the United States and individual nations, the regional compact in the amount of $504 million will focus on reducing transportation costs between the port of Cotonou in Benin and Niger's capital city of Niamey. But there is more, says Mahmoud Ba, deputy CEO of the Millennium Challenge Corporation, the U.S. agency that's been providing foreign assistance around the world for nearly two decades. It would also try to address some of the root causes of uh, you know, maintaining road assets. In both countries, they have committed to improving road maintenance. So there will be policy and institutional reform around road maintenance, contribution, how the fund is flowing, and how those funds are allocated to roads that actually need to be maintained. Benin and Niger will contribute $15 million to the various projects. The regional compact also aims to eliminate trade bottlenecks between the two nations and cut down on spoilage from delays, Ba says. MCC previously invested a total of $1.1 billion in Benin and Niger. The new projects aim to build on progress made. We hope that we will connect those previous investments to these new investments. The port of Benin now is effectively um, a, a model in the region, and thanks to the work we jointly did, and this road piece connecting that port to customers, farmers, clients in Niamey along the corridor from Cotonou, it's the big story here. Uh, I truly believe that regional integration is an essential piece of the entire continent's development. Ba just came back from Mozambique. There, he signed a so-called Ed Memoir, committing Washington and Maputo to pursue a compact later on this year to protect Mozambique's coastal areas. Mozambique is one country that is faced with extreme adverse effects of climate. 65% of Mozambican lives on the littoral, on the coastal uh, part of Mozambique. It has 20, 2,300 kilometers of coast, and it's being pounded every year by heavier, heavier cyclones. About four years ago, Cyclone Idai killed hundreds in Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and Malawi, and displaced millions in what the United Nations called one of the worst weather-related catastrophes in the history of Africa. To receive money from MCC, a country needs to meet the agency's standards on a range of criteria from good governance to economic freedom. MCC recently terminated Burkina Faso's grant funding after a military takeover. When we see a coup d'etat in a country, especially the military coup d'etat, it calls into question the model. And what for us that is, is a red line, is that we cannot face Congress and say, well, you know, we need to support this, this, this country, when in fact we see a... a an attempt or a confiscation of the uh, constitution by a group of military. MCC is working on signing a compact with Sierra Leone this year to help make its energy sector more reliable and electricity cheaper.
Other potential beneficiaries in Africa include Mauritania, Togo and Gambia. Senegal is being tapped to lead the next regional compact. Mariama Diallo, VOA News, Washington. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Iheyes Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Barrow, and our engineer, Helen Cordian, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Thank you.